Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the co-founder and CEO of Partner Hacker. He's also the chief ecosystem officer at Reveal. He evangelizes the concept of Nearbound. His vision is partner-led everything. He published a manifesto explaining these ideas titled Trust is the New Data. He advises a variety of companies. His background is in partnerships and business development with leaders like Drift and PandaDoc. And today, he's joining us from Paris. Jared Fuller, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Hey, happy to be here. This is a, a topic near and dear to my heart. I've always said that I'm a market-led entrepreneur. And what that means is it starts with the people and where they are and what they care about and how they think and how they talk, not inside the walls of your company. So uh, you've created a great watering hole here, as I like to call them. Appreciate it. It's been a it's been a joy for me. I've learned a ton and I don't think about anything the same way uh, anymore Right. Was from when I started this uh, back in the fall. It's also interesting, too. You make me think that we're going to maybe wind up talking go to market. Um, there's, I don't know if we're now um, partly offended by even the language of that, like as if going to, like as, a, as opposed to going into market. But before we get into all of that, because you're so clear on where we are in B2B sales, B2B marketing, getting into the market, this concept of nearbound, which we'll unpack. I think it'll resonate with every evangelist, no matter their position. Uh, before we get into all that, I'd love to start with the most important job of an evangelist. When I ask you that, Jared, what, what comes to mind? Well, I, I think um, the most important thing by far to me is that anyone that knows me knows that I'm genuine. That's because I only talk about the things that I care about deeply. So to me, I would say that passion is the primary ingredient to my being. And I think that is by far the most important thing in terms of being an evangelist is you better have the passion. You can't really fake passion. You can fake enthusiasm, you can fake excitement, but passion comes from like this really honest, genuine, deep connection um, with the topic. And it typically comes from some sort of earned secret or struggle that you wrestled with something very intimately for a long time and you may have found a better way. So that, that interconnectedness between who you are and your story to the, the better world that you're trying to create, um, you can't be faked. So for example, uh, hiring just another chief evangelist, so to speak, in a co-working space for the first time uh, here in Paris, you can't just hire someone. This isn't like you hire a marketing coordinator and they become your evangelist. I, I truly believe that um, anyone that was in that function or role without some connectedness to the, you know, the task at hand uh, for the customers. I, I don't think it's going to be genuine. Our, our BS and, and sniff detectors are at an all-time high. And the reality is, is that we, we only trust people who've been to the places that we want to go. Like, that's how we buy today. We buy not by asking how questions, we don't, we don't buy by going to Google, like it's crazy, this was just a few years ago. We don't go to Google, how do I do X? No, you go, who has done Y? 
And what that means is that the way that we have to sell has to change. The way that we have to market has to change. And the role of the evangelist plays, um, I think, an increasingly very important role. Very good. Uh, I hear in your response, especially right off the top, I don't know that I've had the founder evangelist on yet. That's obviously you in this case. And uh, what I also heard in there was the word, you didn't use this word, but it was like tied right in there as you were separating enthusiasm from passion. Yes. To me, there's something um, in the way that you talked about, it, there's like an integrity there, like it is true to who I am and I am being true to it about me. Um, and there's also the sincerity. When I think about the BS detector, I think what we're really detecting is sincerity. Does this person believe what they're saying and therefore can I believe it? And do they seem to care about what they're saying and therefore might I care about it? Do they seem to care about me? It's kind of getting into nearbound a little bit more. Do, do they seem to care about me? Therefore, I care more about them. Uh, and that's all wrapped in there. Um, talk about your uh, how helpful it was, because I think you've only been on this, this particular journey and mission that you're on at present for about a year. Uh, talk about the momentum that you had by being so clear about this kind of this point of view about the market, about the world, like how much more helpful was it to you to get going into Partner Hacker and, and Reveal as a founder evangelist as opposed to, say, maybe a technical founder who had a technical solution to a problem? Um, Ethan, an audience the degree to which I was ready for this question in this moment is a decade in the making. And I, I genuinely mean that. Um, I founded a SaaS company called JobHive um, in the early 2010s. And um, I'm dangerous at sales. So dangerous that I raised uh, at a $40 million valuation pre-product from Foundry Group. And I was like 22. Like I got Rad Feld to invest in me. So like I knew I was a good salesperson, but I, I realized that there was like this, there was this class of entrepreneurs that seemed like they had the answers to the test. And I didn't, I didn't have the answers to the test. We were making everything up as I went along and I should, could sure sell, but I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And after that company failed for, uh, I, I gave a, a three hour podcast on that whole like journey It's pretty wild. Um, I really, really, really knew that the next thing that I did where I took it on, I was not going to fail. It was a hundred percent success rate. But I took a, I took a run. I did a Pandadoc from zero to, you know, 20,000 customers. I did Drift and built the global ecosystem there. Um, but the reason why I went to like a Drift is because of David Cancel and Elias Torres, who sold Performable to HubSpot. And I sat down with um, Brian Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot, uh, when I was doing the, uh, the negotiation of Pandadoc Series B with HubSpot. It was HubSpot Ventures' first ever venture investment. So like, I'm still pretty good at sales. I'm doing this partnerships thing. I'm helping lead these companies. And Halligan told me that David Cancel was the, uh, the most important entrepreneur in B2B SaaS. I'm like, well, I thought you were like, you're Brian Halligan, HubSpot inbound, right? So like I went from failing a company to sitting at the table with the people that I admired most in the world. And David asked me to come help build the ecosystem at Drift. And I did that for one reason and one reason alone is I wanted the answers to the test. And here's the answers to the test. There's three types of entrepreneurs. There's builders, there's geniuses, and there's pros. Builders have a hammer and they're looking for a nail. That's 90% of entrepreneurs, right? They're solving for themselves. I have this thing, don't you wanna buy it? 
How, who can I, like, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to me that people do ICP hopping. You don't know your customer? What the heck are you building? I, like, to me, that just blew my mind that that's what I was doing, but then that's not what the expert, the people that win, they don't ICP hop. Like, okay, so this builder profile, you can make it, but the odds are not in your favor. Then there's the geniuses, and they have a 10x technological innovation, right? A true transformative change thing. That's not me. I'm not the, I'm not the, the person that's going to come up with some novel technical invention that changes the game. Um, but the challenge with that is that, you know, geniuses quickly realize that great product never beats great go-to-market. And even then, great go-to-market never beats great ecosystem. And then there's this third one. And I, the third one I refer to as pros. And here's what pros do. And this is tying it back to the, near, uh, to the evangelist concept very cleanly. Is the very first thing that pros do is they choose, there's only a couple at any given time, but an undeniable shift in the world, right? For all of us. Like we're talking humanity at its current moment in time and what's happening in the next five to 10 years. Right. So I saw David call out messaging in AI in 2015 as a macro trend, right? That messaging was going to eat everything. And then AI assistance would facilitate. I mean, how right was he? At like 100% right. Um, so this undeniable shift of how we communicate from cold calls to like SMS style, obviously correct. He, and then you choose the market. So what about my background serves me to best serve this audience? Paul Graham calls it an earned secret, right? So you've gone through something, some trials, some tribulations, some struggle, and you went, aha, here's how I get to the other side, right? So then that anchors you to a uh, consumer or enterprise, and then it anchors you to a persona, right? Is it sales, marketing, success, IT? And then you have your customer, right? That's your market. Market, undeniable shift. The earned secret that you have the exact customer that you have the experience and relevance and honesty to, and then here's what you do. You own the audience, and then you build the product. That's literally the exact opposite of how 90% of businesses are built today, right? I would say that the other 8% are probably geniuses that build really cool things, right? And then there's like this two to 1% that those are the people that Sequoia just cut 15, $20 million checks for walking in the office, right? DC didn't even have a product. He walked into CRV and uh, Ezar, $15 million Series A, just because he walked in the door, right? Because he knew. He's like, you know what you're doing. And of course he did. A couple billion dollar outcome. So that to me is like the power that entrepreneurs have at their disposal to be the evangelist, right? To create a category and a movement. Um, so I know that's a long-winded answer, but I, I really felt that that segment, that the, the, the builders, the geniuses, the pros, the evangelists out there listening to this, you have a really good shot at an entrepreneurial future. It might be the other thing that I might eke out of that. Yeah, and it's it's this pro thing, and it's this idea of uh, I'm just kind of say saying it back so you can kind of clarify and redirect if I if I mistook any aspect at the end there of I know the market, I, I have a trend, I know the market, I know the customer, I'm dialed in at some level to a, a persona within this broader group, and I'm going to build for them after I already have all that understood and identified. 
Yeah, and I, what I would say is, you know, owning the audience, what that means is, is that you're serving the audience, you're helping the audience, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's something coming, there's something happening, right? There's old world and there's new world, there's winners and there's losers, and your voice should be authentic towards helping people reach their promised land, right? So when I say own the audience, you know, evangelism doesn't happen in a vacuum. Evangelism happens in the market, right? You have a community, you have events, you have distribution, you have podcasts, you have videos, you have all of these things. The point is that evangelism happens where people live. So you can't do that through a product. You cannot do evangelism through SaaS, right? You do evangelism through your voice. And that's what I did. So I, um, uh, it was a roundabout way that I got to partner hackers specifically. So launching a media company first and then getting into it. Uh, but I started a podcast called Partner Up uh, to get the answers to the test from presumably people much smarter than I about partnerships. And through that journey of like starting it and why I started is there just was no information, like literally none about partnerships for B2B SaaS. Um, it always been a secret weapon of mine. So did that. But then what you quickly realize is, oh, no, everyone's looking for this information. Um, and that there was an undeniable shift happening in the world. Uh, I was firmly convinced that go-to-market, uh, I will try to not say anything too disparaging on here, but uh, if you're listening to this right now and you've sat through a sales and marketing meeting in the last six months and you had a sales and marketing alignment, please tell me how it was any different than 2014. It's the same. Like nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Like the same sales and marketing alignment meetings, the same board meetings, the same operating models, the same ivory tower intellectualism that we put an operating model at the center of all of our executive conversations. I was so sick of that that I'm like, there, this has to break. And then I saw the impending recession coming with the, uh, you know, just dollars flowing everywhere. You know, uh, I'm like, the thing that's going to come next, that's something that I have to participate in. So that's actually where the evangelism came from was like, I have a role to play um, and I created that role first. You know, I, I started a podcast by myself and then um, co-founded Partner Hacker with my um, uh, business partner, Isaac Morehouse, who's uh, one of the best content marketers out there. And we started with a narrative, you know, launched with the manifesto, right? Um, so we, I could get into the, the back half of that story and how we get to Nearbound, but um, very intentional. Like I recruited Isaac specifically and we knew exactly what we were going to do. Um, all the way through the end, you know, in a year. And I feel like you probably just going to the manifesto and then we'll get into this concept of nearbound because again, I think it's super relevant to everyone who listens to this show. Uh, and thank you for everyone who has found this show and reached out to me. I'd love to hear from anyone who's checking it out. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so, so I have a feeling that, that, that manifesto was simply a matter of you or you and Isaac expressing what you already knew what you already thought or was the exercise of the manifesto part of the kind of the discovery and the concept organization. I, what, what I'm suggesting is that the manifesto was in you and it was just a matter of organizing and expressing it, but maybe talk about that process. There's why I had to tell the, the, the builder genius and pro story. And that's not to self-ascribe myself to, you know, the, the latter half. Although I, I, I re the point was, is I failed the company in 2014 B2B SaaS. And then I saw the best and the worst of it you know, venture back, Sequoia, you know, Foundry, failure, great outcome, two unicorns back to back. Um, and then what I realized was 
the undeniable shift is the most important thing to nail, right? So I actually worked on that for two years. Now, not full time, but what I was doing is I had this running dock and I was like, what is the thing that's going to change? And in this, uh, the Partner Hacker Manifesto, it's called Trust is the New Data. I actually had to eke out this like base concept over many, many, many conversations. And that hmm. this, this document probably didn't have, um, I mean, it didn't have that much content, but it was changing just a little bit here and there. And what I kind of anchored it to was these three eras. Um, and I knew we were entering a new era. The first era was about the digitization of sales activities. It's very clear to me that that was the case. And it wasn't cloud, but it was digital data, right? So everything was brand world, offline, direct response, that's it. Um, and that world was actually a channel world. It was, like you had to go to local partners to put the thing in to advertise, radio, whatever. I mean, everything, 100% of trade was pretty much, you know, channel and partnerships related. Um, but through another name. But then this digitization of sales happened and sellers could have a list and make a call, right? They could send an email. So a little bit peeled off, it was more cost-effective, right? And then the cloud happened. So that's the next era, right? The next era was the era of marketing automation, right? So on top of this data precipitated by the invention of the cloud, we could automate everything. And boy, did we sure do that. I mean, Clive Humby in 2006, uh, boldly proclaimed that data was the new oil. And he was right. I mean, it was the new gold. It was the new oil. I mean, just look at the market cap of, you know, Salesforce 2006 to 2020, right? Um, any company that was playing in the data space, Snowflake, uh, to even Amazon, right? Like Amazon's a data company, AWS, you know, like all of these things and all of this wealth was created in, um, around data. But then around 2020, 2019, and me getting sick of marketing and sales alignment meetings and all of that, I was like, there's another era coming. This isn't going to last. I mean, we've all, you know, a lot of us have been in B2B tech for a while. I mean, I definitely remember just like it was yesterday when HubSpot was like launched when there was 150 MarTech companies. Now there's 12,000, right? Like then my email is not just like it's crazy to think it could have gotten any worse than like two years ago, but it's exponentially worse. Like it is known that I don't even respond to email. Like I don't respond to any email. I don't answer any phone calls. I mean, none. Like I have to have someone from the company bug me to respond to an email. It's impossible. I've set up every filter and it's just like, I'll unsubscribe from 20 in a day and I'll get 40 net new subscriptions. It like, and I know this because I just spun up a new domain and the degree to which I filled that up, it's just impossible. It's impossible. There's no way you can say that sales digitization through outbound and that marketing automation to try and bring people inbound is somehow magically going to get better. So there had to be something else. And I went, you know, there's these things that started to happen and this is what I put in the, the manifesto. And that's, this is why the evangelist thing is so, it should be genuine and passionate. These are experiences that should be lived that you can speak to is, have you Googled anything recently and just been like, what, does Google work anymore? It's very strange. It's very strange because I used to Google everything, but now it's like, you know, just a simple thing like, uh, 
what temperature do I cook bacon at in the oven? You did not realize that you were going to spend 20 minutes on that question. It's like, what is bacon in the origin of pork? And it goes through these five, and it's like, just tell me the dang temperature. It's like these 15 listicle SEO optimized drivel. Like nobody wants that. That's not what I want. That's what you want. You want to game the system to get my click so that we, and that's what Google wants. Google wants me to spend more time on page, go through more listings to play the game. But that's not what I want. That's not what you want. Same thing with review sites, right? Um, review sites, like all of a sudden, every single review site is 4.7 stars. Like every single one, it's really weird. It's strangely weird. And it's like, that, it's just not helpful. Like all games get gamed. And that's what I started to realize is that the time was up, pandemic happened, you know, all these things. And I went, you know, I think data, data obviously is still the king. You have to have your data correct. But when I, what the aha moment was, I went, you know, I think the major shift is that how we buy is this is how I buy. How I buy is even in B2B SaaS. If let's say I, let's say I needed a new forecasting tool. Like, hey, I'm spinning up a new sales org and you know, I've been doing you know, spreadsheet forecasting. Hey, I need to go check out what's new in forecasting. What am I gonna do? I don't Google it. Absolutely not. I don't go to a review site. I go to a community and I look through and I see who's posted recently about this. Like, okay, some conversations about uh, forecasting tools. And then I see that my buddy Taft had posted about Clary and I trust Taft. Um, he's really amazing at RevOps. And so I ping Taft and I go, hey, I saw you this thread about Clary. Um, I, I was a big fan of Inside Squared and no shade to anyone, just an example. I was a big fan of Inside Squared. You think I should move forward with Clary? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll hop on a call with you next week and get it all set up. That's how we buy, Ethan. That, that's, that's how we buy. We, we, to data, trust was the, uh, data was the new oil until data lost all of our trust. Now we, we only trust people who've been to the places that we want to go. Like that's genuinely how we like travel even, like how we buy a car. And it's crazy to think that it's shifted so quickly. Um, and, and that's why this era is fundamentally different. Uh, people are in control. I feel like it's a return to where we've been, right? It's, it's a normalization back to how we came to thrive as a social species. Yeah. You know, so uh, an interesting layer I want to add to, to or, or, or you know, give back to you to respond to is, you know, you knew Taft in your scenario there. What I'm suggesting to folks who are building communities, running communities, I feel like the curation of who's in and who isn't in and why they're in and or why they're out is also part of it because we don't always know all of the people in the community. There's something to the community itself. And I'll go to one like Pavilion. It's big. It's a heck of a lot bigger than when I joined it. Right. But there's some, it, it says something um, when someone from Pavilion reaches out in that way. It's it's a, just a little trust symbol or a trust marker. Um, but as folks are building community, which we talk about periodically on this show, I think this idea of curating the community, who's in and who who isn't, that trust layer starts with the community itself and then goes to the individual, especially to the degree that you can get to know that individual. But I agree with you completely that we're going to practitioners who I either know and trust or uh, in a context that I know and trust for that feedback. Yeah. It's essentially a review, but much more direct and much more trustworthy. 
Well, I would, what I would say is that the, one of the phrases that I, I haven't been able to get out of my head for a year since I wrote it is that, you know, trust comes from helping people, the trust comes from helping people reach their promised land. And we only trust people that have been to the places we want to go. And what I mean by that is that it doesn't mean that I have to know that person, but I am going to vet my decision-making process on the credentials of the person and whether or not there is a signal that they're the thing to help me do the thing. The product is actually secondary. A lot of things are secondary. It's the person, right? It's the relationship. Um, it's their, you know, their credentials. And that's when you start to recognize that if how we buy is fundamentally changed and we've exited what, what I call the how economy to the, the who economy, like that's kind of like our narrative, how economy to who economy. It's your network. It's the people closest to you. We've had this retreat to these, you know, relationships because there is too much information, right? And AI certainly will make many, many, many parts of our lives exponentially better. But I can tell you this right now, it's not going to fix outbound and it's not going to fix inbound. It's going to make something different emerge where how we make decisions about these bigger things, it's going to be with people and then how they get enacted is probably going to be with AI. So I, I think having that very strong point of view, like, like even how we launched this, it, Ethan is like, I got up on a soapbox at an industry event and, you know, I gave this speech, trust is the new data and it got recorded and it's kind of like this, but the people there were like, that was the best speech I've heard ever. And it was impromptu. And it's like, well, cause I've been working on this for two years, not that speech, but like really making sure that the undeniable shift, my earned secret, the anecdotes that I could speak to like, uh, you know, data, we're, we're so awash with data that we don't even trust ourselves to make purchases anymore. Hey, I'll give you a crazy example. I went to Amazon and saved for later. This button that just, you know, got added during the pandemic. And I saw that my wife has 200 products in there. Like she can't even trust herself to make a decision on that. Right. But it, there's reviews, there's all the gamified stuff inside of Amazon, but you know what she does? She goes to Instagram. Right. And she finds people that have already done the thing that she's trying to do. That's where that comes from. It's how we live. And I feel like evangelists out there, if you really want to nail it where your audience is like, man, you get me, just be you, do the thing that you're doing, like live that world. And then you can tell that story. Right. Very honestly. And people go, yeah, I totally get that. Right. My partner does the same thing. Right. Or, you know, I do the same thing. And that's how you break through in this world of messaging. You're not going to break through with SEO. You're going to break through with relevancy, right? In that, that genuineness of like, I've done the thing that you're trying to do. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Man, okay, so you broke down the evangelist right off the top of that response. And in your case, it's, I know that there's something I want to solve. Who do I know, right? It's this, it's this uh, who, not how, not go to Google, figure out how to cook bacon. Uh, that's not a great, it's like, who do I know who like, and that's exactly what I would do, by the way. 
Like well, the that's next what you need AI for, by the way, the bacon. You need that's you just need the answer. You don't need yeah. it. Like you just need the answer. So we're going to the who. We're not trying to solve it ourselves. We're trying to get a jump at least halfway down the road from someone who we know and trust who's been there before. And so what I'll suggest to kind of start getting into this nearbound concept, because I'd love for you to be very explicit about it for folks. Yes. Um, is that the evangelist is that practitioner. The evangelist has done that before. The evangelist has faced that before. They're not a spokesmodel. They're not a uh, even, and I don't mean this with any derision whatsoever, they're not an influencer or a creator per se, although they might have some of those skills. They are a practitioner first and foremost who knows the thing. They know the customer and they go out into the market. They live among the customers and the ideal customers. And in this way, people can be introduced to them and those people can also be introduced to the ideas, the practices, these things, because we're often evangelizing things that people would never Google. I didn't even know I had this problem, right? That's what I've been doing for a decade at BombBomb. Right. No one thinks, oh my gosh, I, I need to stop relying on faceless typed out text for some of my um, emotional or nuanced or detailed responses to people because it'd be so much better if I sent it in a video. How do I do that? Very few people, certainly a decade ago, were asking that question. You need to go out and introduce this idea that you're putting yourself at risk to be misunderstood or ignored or deleted if you don't humanize and add some of those human elements to some of your faceless digital communication. The evangelist right is it's out on market, is out in market rather. Uh, they're connecting, they're learning, they're validating, they're developing, they're teaching, they're engaging. How fundamental is that role or that concept to Nearbound? What I would say is that Nearbound is the the operalization of uh, the relationships and the network across the entire business. And it changes or adds a layer to go to market across marketing, across sales, across products, across success, where you're looking at the market first and you're making your decisions based on what? The proximity and the strength of those relationships, right? Like the node bonding theory, like we're actually talking about network effects in building a business that's a little bit more sustainable. So if you, if you're thinking about Nearbound, what it is, is it's, you know, partner hacker to Nearbound. How did we get there, right? Is that we, I, I had this theory that we were exiting the sales digitization era, the marketing automation era, and then we're going to enter this, this ecosystem era. And I knew that partnerships were going to play a fundamental role because all software is connected, right? So like integrations at minimum was going to play a very massive role in this new decade, right? And that's obviously the case right now, even more than that was a year and a half ago. Um, like what we started to do is whenever we decided to launch Partner Hacker and we started to get this out there, we published, you know, the Partner Hacker Manifesto. And then we started to cover and go into the VC conversations. So I had some, I mean, we're having a great conversation. I appreciate everybody listening right now. But I was being asked into VC rooms that I wasn't being asked into before per se to say, hey, Jared, we need to figure out partnerships because this isn't working and this isn't working. And then I covered stories about Bessemer Venture Partners releasing their state of the cloud report and that the number one trend for 2022 when I launched Partner Hacker, that every company should was indirect partnerships from day one for every B2B company. I knew, I, it's like, I knew, man, I knew, I felt so good. I'm like, that is a seminal report from one of the most respected VCs and they just the year before, just one year before, said 
to their portfolio companies, don't invest in partnerships until you cross $100 million in revenue. I mean, that's a, that's a giant, like, come on, that's night and day different, right? So we're in this new era. And then I went, you know, partnerships though. So I, I knew we had to attach it to partnerships in this function, right? That's where the expertise was. And we had to start there, but that wasn't the destination. The destination was the entity, right? Like go to market was so broken and they needed this other lever. So we built the audience of partnership professionals um, to kind of invert their role. And uh, we grew Partner Hacker. I launched this in May, with, uh, Isaac and I launched in May of 2022. Um, and we, were, we announced our acquisition nine months later uh, by Reveal. Um, and it was on purpose. Reveal announced that their category was Nearbound and Reveal was a networked database. And you're like, what's a networked database? Well, it's the sum of all of the data of not just your CRM, all of your partner's CRMs and perhaps your customers. And the point is that, that the relationship is the thing that you have access to for the first time ever. So what it does is it inverts the partner function and like how, how like it's just crazy to think that the steps to get here, get this, it, it changed everything from where partnerships stopped being a department and became a strategy for every department, right? And instead of calling it partnerships when marketing does it, when sales does it, what, what words did we already use? We use outbound, we use inbound, nearbound. So what we did is we took partnerships were like, hey, let me go work my partners, right? And, and maybe they'll register a deal with me, right? And I can give that to my sales team. And what were the sales team doing? Sending cold emails and making cold calls and of course, responding to inbound when it happens. But the, the crazy thing was, is these channels were declining for sellers. And why didn't they get the answers to the test? For example, um, I was working at Drift. Let's say somebody bought Six Sense, uh, so ABM platform uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I know that they're one of my core partners. Well, what precipitated that purchasing decision? There's like some intel there, right? That's the proximity to that buyer is much closer through that than it is through Google that it is through their website. And it allows and changes the role of partnerships to be an orchestration layer, to bring nearbound to the same level that inbound and outbound. You're just going to partners and these, and not just partners, right? So nearbound is customers, it's community, it's influencers. It's anyone that has a relationship that matters, right? That trust, right? When I say trust is the new data, how perfect is that to tie together to nearbound and that's the category that we're creating. And um, I'm very honored to be in a position where like HubSpot, like my, like I, I love that company more than any company. It's my favorite SaaS company, just, the, just to see them crush it every step. And they're so nice and just amazing people. Uh, you're a role model, right? The executives themselves, the company, they've always been a role model to me to like go to their events and hear them talking about it. Wild. But that's the I think that's the opportunity of having the answers to the test and, and like actually living the experience. Um, live in the market. That's what I always say. Uh, I ditch go to market and I tend to say live in market. Um, and if you genuinely care about the things uh, that not everyone cares about, but some cohort is, you can actually be a really, really, really great leader and call your shots and get things done and create a movement um, in, in record time.
so it's been it's been a heck of a uh, like a year and a month, right? right. So we we we, lo- we launched a, a media company. We had a multi million dollar acquisition, and then created a category. And it's you know obviously we're nowhere near outbound or inbound in terms of adoption, but you would be very surprised to see the people that are utilizing that verbiage and implementing it across the C-suite, CMOs and CROs from a word that did not exist six months ago. We're doing yeah, it way faster than anyone that came before. Yeah, I think just tying back to drift and messaging, I think if you looked at the onset of that, people would say, oh, I don't know about all that. In this case, I feel like uh, you have that same, I mean, you're, you're identifying this trend. It's a real trend. And I think the adoption of the language that you just mentioned is a reflection of the fact that everybody knows that the the first two phases that you outline in the manifesto are they're not useless, but they're exhausted. They're, they're um, declining. There's just yeah, there's no way you're going to look at that in twelve months and it look better. Right. So I think everyone is was ready for this language and this concept. It will take a while to catch, just like anything else. Um, but but you're obviously seeing positive signs, and so am I. It's the same reason I started this. Like there was, a, I had a very deep conviction that this role of a practitioner who cares a lot, who knows a lot, who wants to engage a lot, is engaging in and of themselves at some level, being out in market to learn more and bring it back to the company, to take some of the core concepts, best practices from the company and from the broader community, and bring that to life in like a sustained way. Um, was a thing. And I want to talk to people who are doing it in different ways and every episode is different. Um, that's, we have a great show because you actually care about the thing. You have a passion. And I'm assuming prior to having the podcast, Ethan, here's what you probably did is I bet you had some great conversations with people that were serving in an evangelist role, right? And then I bet you had some people reach out to you asking how they should approach it. A hundred percent. And did you help those people? Of course I did. I probably did. did. I probably did 40 or 50 hours of free Bingo. consulting over the past two and a half, three years. And a gentleman I was talking with, I, just, I pitched it to him. I was like, hey, man, you know, you and I have spent an hour and a half together and I don't I will never take a dime of your money. But do you think you personally or do you think the company um, w- if I had some kind of a you know, off the shelf framework that we could then kind of work through and customize together in a direct consultative way. Is that something you would personally pay for? Do you think there'd be any budget in the company? He's like, listen, man, I don't know about all that, but you just mentioned like 10 of us, just get us together on a Zoom call and we'll hang out and we'll see what happens. And that was the genesis of it. And then, you know, I had my first 10 guests already lined up. Like the first 10 guests that you see, if you go to chiefevangelist.com or youtube.com slash at chief evangelist. I was already in conversation with all of those people um, about their roles, what they were doing, what I was doing, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you're dead on with that. Um, Question for you, because I know we're going to be up at time here soon. Attribution, it's one of the biggest challenges. What I feel like I heard a little bit in what you're talking about with Nearbound and Reveal reminds me a little bit of my conversation with Anthony Kennedy about owned media and finally getting some insight and attribution to some of this stuff that was essentially regarded as uh, influencing a sale, but we could never draw a direct line of attribution. See, here's the thing. Um, attribution is a red herring. Um, the Thank CFOs Good. and ivory tower intellectuals and MBAs um, that have never spent, uh, walked like a step in the customer's shoes, obsess over. And I will win that battle 100% of the time. 100% of the time. 
because I can prove that attribution does not work, period, full stop, and, and that it's useless. What you need to look at is attach. Not attribution, not source, attach. Anything that's attached to a conversion event, right? You can have five attaches, right? You just cohort it out. If a partner is attached, for example, to a lead, but then an ad was served and an email was served, well, we just look, okay, the partner attach did this to this lead. Well, the cohort of partner attached, does it perform better than baseline or worse than baseline? I've just solved it for you. It's really that simple. Just look at attach on marketing. Just look at attach on sales. Just look at attach on success. You don't need attribution. What you need is just to go, were they involved? Was there something there? And th I think the point is what your customers care about are, you know, the media is certainly, um, because uh, I want to tie this back to why I think media is such an important vehicle right now uh, and community. And we're all, you hear of like Scott Lees, who's one of my big sales buddies. He's trying to evangelize, go to network. And, um, you know, he's kind of been seeing what I've been talking about with Nearbound and partnerships. And he's kind of like, yeah, I don't really, you know, I don't answer my phone either, Jared. And I'm like, Scott to me is like one of the best VP of sales of all time. And he's saying, this is, you can't do this anymore. Like everything that I've been teaching you and all these hundred million dollar rev orgs I built, gone. The smartest people I know, Jill Rowley, um, uh, Brendan Cassidy. I mean, probably the GOAT VP of sales. Like no, none of these people are CROs or VPs of sales anymore. They're, they're realizing something very important. And that is when you are a media company, the content is the product, right? The content must be consumed and it must help. When you are a community, the conversation is a product, is the product, right? When you are a product, the product is the product. And what you recognize is that, well, products are only used by people that pay for them. Right? It's, it's at the end of the journey, not at the beginning. So all these other things that you do as a business, right? So evangelism, et cetera, that's why it becomes increasingly important, right? Like communities, media, and being able to produce things that help people from a genuine point of view that is not SEO optimized drivel that isn't a gamified review thing that isn't a cold email or a cold call. It isn't about you. It's about me and helping me because you have a perspective of a shared experience and you've been to the place that I want to go. The people that focus their efforts and their energy on helping their customers with those conversations in the community, right? The content that's for them. Um, and then they build their marketing engine around, Hey, let's do an event together with all of our partners in the ecosystem. Hey, instead of selling just directly, like, hey, here's my product, why don't we integrate and make sure that we're working really well everywhere else versus round pick square hole? Let's start there. And instead of serving customers myopically through the lens of, uh, let's say, some retention or activation metric in the product, why don't we start with the people that are already doing business with them? meaning like, I don't know, a marketing consultant or something like that, like thinking beyond your own walls and thinking where the customer lives. Um, I'll leave you with this, the nearbound world and the nearbound era, um, it's not necessarily new, kind of like you were starting the conversation. It's what we've always kind of known. And it's so right in front of us. Name for me a single industry leading company that is not a network effect in ecosystem business. The only one that I could think of was Netflix and Netflix just got their butt handed to them with their walled garden, right? YouTube continues to be the most profitable money-making machine of all time. 
right? Because community, content, creators, like all this stuff, it's an ecosystem. There's a flywheel, there's community, and Salesforce, HubSpot, Microsoft, you name it, Amazon, the era's here. And like that conviction is very, very, very high. Um, and that's the, I think that's the other thing is that your journey, I'll leave you with this last one, your journey from whatever you're doing in interest to evangelist starts with curiosity and then it moves to courage and then it ends with conviction. And when you have conviction and you're passionate, go change the world. So good. Uh, two things before I let you go. This has been an absolute joy. Thank you for uh, spending this time with me. Thank you for uh, listening to the episodes. Thank you for uh, living out so much of what we um, are exploring here on the podcast. Thank um, you. I love this because literally it's been a 10-year journey to make sure I didn't screw this up. So like, I'm happy to share because it's literally been my focus to not mess this up. <laughs> so good. Uh, what, is, uh, what is something you find yourself evangelizing in your own personal life? I would say mental models and first principles. Um, a really big fan of like doing 10 things a thousand times versus a thousand things 10 times. Um, so I'm always trying to get to the bottom of everything versus uh, a priori knowledge versus posteriori, like scientific method. That's great. You guys go do a thousand studies. I need like that one thing. And uh, I, I tend to like put that around the people that I know, love and trust is I try to have very, you know, common, uh, com common things in, uh, in terms of first principles. Really good. If folks want to follow up, connect with you, they're obviously not going to reach you by phone. <laughs> Where would you send people that are interested in some of the themes and ideas that you laid out here? And I'll certainly yeah, so, link up the manifesto and some of the other things uh, that we covered. I'll do that in the notes. But where would you send people that want to connect with you? Yeah, just uh, LinkedIn, Jared Fuller, J-A-R-E-D-F-U-L-L-E-R. -E um, and if you want to you want to know what's happening uh, on everything Nearbound, um, uh, so partnerhacker.com and then uh, go over to near, nearbound.com. So I think if we time this right, we might have an announcement. I don't know if uh, I want to necessarily make that here. Yeah, go no over problem. to nearbound.com if you want to check it out. Um, and then just follow, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I've helped, I don't even know, hundreds and hundreds of hours over the past decade, um, about three to five hours a week of just helping people. Um, so like how I was able to launch a community was directly through that. Love it. Uh, he is Jared Fuller, spelled as it sounds. I am Ethan Butte. Last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. -E. Hit us both up on LinkedIn. Thank you, Jared. And thank you to everyone for spending this time with us on Chief Evangelist. Absolutely. Thank you, Ethan, for the work that you do. And thanks, y'all, for listening. I think uh, the future leaders are the current evangelists. Um, go get it. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.